Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of IndyCar Weekly. I'm Nathan Brown, the Motorsports Insider for the Indianapolis Star and USA Today. Coming up in this week's show, fresh off IndyCar's 2022 season opener, that featured another first-time winner, our fifth in 17 races. Isn't that wild? My co-host Jack Harvey and I will discuss how the series kicked off what in many ways feels like a pivotal season in a very, very big way. We'll discuss why blue flags and red tires were major topics of discussion in St. Pete, break down the strategy calls that made or broke Sunday's race for so many big names in the series, and we'll find out whether Jack managed to stay away from a Star Wars orchestral performance this weekend in St. Pete. Plus, I sat down with Scott McLaughlin this weekend's breakout star from Team Penske, who not only secured his first IndyCar pole in St. Pete, but won his first race while leading 49 of the 100 laps on Sunday afternoon. He laid out to me in a wide-ranging conversation why last year as a rookie in IndyCar in a brand-new country and continent was so tough, why conversation with Team Penske president Tim Sindrick and Roger Penske was so pivotal to his IndyCar adjustment and what he did with that pair of shoes that has become so famous, his shoey shoes. Strap in for another episode of IndyCar Weekly. Feels awesome to be able to break down an IndyCar race weekend once again. This is Nathan Brown with Jack Harvey, co-hosts of IndyCar Weekly, coming to you guys from a Friday afternoon. It's, uh, it's amazing how, um, I mean, in fact, it's Friday. I guess that probably has something to do with uh, being a race weekend, it feels like I just got home a couple of days ago and the week's flown by, but um, I guess that's a, a good thing to be dealing with, uh, having not been on track since September. How'd you uh, feel getting back into a, a post-race week mode, Jack, after Sunday? Sunday was fine. Uh, I actually stayed in St. Pete Sunday night. Uh, my girlfriend's brother and parents uh, live in the St. Pete area uh, and in Clearwater, so to be honest, it was nice just to be able to not have to rush back to the airport Sunday, I had a pizza, had a bit of wine, uh, it was a very casual end. Uh, that being said, I've forgotten how busy the weeks are after a race weekend, um, and certainly I feel like my competitive nature is on point right now because you know, we kind of left the weekend really encouraged about what we're going to achieve this year, but certainly by no means satisfied by the end result. So, I mean, at this point, although the season started early, I'm ready to go now. You know, I feel fully ready. I'm fully in, uh, you know, in race mode. And I actually, I enjoy the week after 
you know, the first race of the year because it just gets you going again. You know, you've got proper things to look at and data, sort of just, you know, different theories and stuff like that and uh, kind of dissecting the race, what was good, what was bad, what we did that was good and bad and honestly, how are we going to improve, improve next time? But, uh, yeah, it's crazy to me that somehow it's already Friday again. You know, it certainly feels like it's come around pretty quick. Um, so, yeah, it's basically like it's been a good week. It is. It's, yeah, I mean, it's got this race week or this week over with next week is kind of like that middle gap week and then uh, all of a sudden it's race week again i know um i know the number of days in between races seems like a long time um when you think about it you know three weeks in between st pete and then texas and texas to long beach long beach to uh to barber once we get to the month of may but um, I think it makes you maybe in some ways really appreciate uh, the folks in the NASCAR paddock that are, you know, going week in, week out, every single race weekend. Uh, they have, what, like 38 races or something like that. Is, um, oh, will be a, man, a long, that's, that's long season. Terrible. <laughs> I would agree. Is it? Uh, I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's, some folks that enjoy being busy and being on the road all the time, but that would just be really, really hard to imagine. Um, we've got a great race. I, I couldn't imagine that. That, that. that to me it would just be brutal because it's you know sport is hard enough and it's emotionally draining. You know everyone's competitive. You give it your all, and to come back, you know your quick reset, change, you know fix the calf, you know, get your mind right, still work out, and then you're going straight back to the track. The thing that I think people forget is that's not super hard. You know, like the drivers, that's fine, but you've got a whole crew of people yeah. that I think that schedule is just brutal on them. To be honest, it's not even just people involved with the team. It's, you know, people like yourself, you know, who are going to all the races, and, you know, their livelihood as well is racing, and it's just... Don't get me wrong, I would love it if the IndyCar schedule was, you know, 20 races a year. But honestly, outside of that, like, NASCAR, like, nearly 40 races. That is wild to me. Yeah, it it really is. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, 20 would be, I think, a really good sweet spot. Um, if, especially if they were spread out evenly across the year. I and mean, I think you and I have talked about this before, about how different the start of the season is going to feel compared to the last like two months when we've got i think it's eight races and nine weekends is going to have a very different feel to it uh from a travel perspective from a life perspective from uh i mean frankly even from a coverage perspective i'll just talk a little bit about my you know my life and all of that i i enjoy being able to kind of focus and download a lot from a single race weekend um you know we go as a you know member of the media we go and do all of these interviews and gather all of this knowledge and stuff and uh, some of that's um even more so when it's the start of the season and you're talking to some people in person for the first time in several months uh and you get a you know a lot of really great stuff but um but I feel like when you've got to race every single weekend for an extended period of time, it's hard to really focus on. I mean, like uh, like what we're going to talk about in a second, for example, I mean, Scott's incredible weekend um, winning his first 
race grabbing his first IndyCar pole. That's something that you'd hardly be able to focus up on for 24, 36 hours before you'd have to start talking about and thinking about and focusing on the next race ahead. And I think that's one thing that's nice about IndyCar is that you can kind of talk about, um, analyze and, and look at everything that happens in a single race weekend for a little bit longer when things are spaced out. I think that like every other week model, I think would be really solid personally, but that's just me. I agree with you. I think, you know, as an example this week, this week was a little busy because of the rookie test at Texas. Uh, you know, but it wasn't until Wednesday by the time that I really got back with my engineer because also bear in mind not only do the drivers have to try and you know compress themselves and relax and recover and energize again but that applies to the whole team you know so basically it was a case of monday i think the guys came in for the afternoon to try and you know catch up on a bit of sleep maybe see see their families and stuff like that and then you got to give the engineers time to dig into the race and you know how things played out and that you know catching up on some of the setup changes what did it look like kind of post event etc etc and then i went in on thursday to see the guys you know took some beers in obviously after our crash uh you know just to say thank you and sorry you know because they did such an awesome job of fixing the number 45 high v honda that there was one moment where i was sweating whether we'd even make it out for quality and then you know my crew chief brad just was like we're gonna make it don't panic just focus on you know having a good qualifying that you then give them thursday just to kind of keep looking at stuff and then today was really like our first time properly coming together to review the weekend and the thing is if we were racing this weekend well they probably wouldn't have done the test at texas that would have freed up a little time but i mean you it's quality and not just quantity and I think if we were, if uh, if that week is sped up any more, you're basically missing probably some of the small details and get, getting straight to the big ticket items, which is fine. Um, but maybe you miss something. And then the thing that's hard about that is when you come around to go to St. Pete again next year, you've missed something, you know. So I think right now, anyway, the flow of the schedule is good. You know, that nine week, or that eight week span or nine weeks, whatever it is, eight, eight race in nine weeks. That that's a pretty grueling part of the schedule, and people need to remember that's more than oh, is it half of our races in two months, basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know that is you're going to get into a bit there where it's just going to be consistency. Uh, you know, finishing races, and you know, I know people look at it and they're like, oh, you know, great life, and it is, you know, and the off season for us can be a bit boring, but like to be that relentless and that traveling that much. And I mean, you've got no life for them few weeks or them months there. You know, that is a case of just purely eat, breathe, sleep racing, um, which is fine. You know, that's, that's what we all signed up for. We know, we know that, you know, and stuff, but it, it does make you appreciate these weeks because there's still a lot of intent there's still a lot of purpose it's not it's not relaxed it's not casual there's just a slightly there's more opportunity to go through it thoroughly instead of skimming you know so i like the flow right now you know i'm happy that we're getting ready to go 
nearly back to Texas. Uh, you know, I guess you know that next week will be a lot of prep work, the same the week after, and then obviously similar kind of gap to Long Beach, similar gap to Barber. But then to be honest, from I think this year, from you know from May to well, from May onwards, to me the the season is is very much in full swing and getting going. And you know, like we mentioned on the show last week. Life for everyone changes a bit. For you, you know, and your wife, those days at home probably feel a little more valuable than they did last year, you know, to spend time with your little boy. So that feeling, I don't think, is right. It's probably echoed by everybody. Um, and it's just an enjoyable time, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, well, let's go and uh, rattle off some of the the highlights from this weekend. Um first thing that struck me and i i don't know how much it really got talked about um coming into the race weekend but we had a new and i and you'll be able to kind of explain the the ins and outs of this but is it that we had a new red tire compound just for saint pete or a new red tire compound essentially for all road and street course races for this year uh that was not clear to me yet i know it, it definitely was a different red for st p it was meant to be a little more grip high a little higher deg obviously to go with that um i haven't heard yet if that's just a street circuit thing this year uh or not so it'll be it'll be pretty interesting but i think the the interesting thing about them changing the tire is the conversation that we had as a group but also clearly what a lot of people had conversation-wise, from a strategy stance, St. Pete on fuel is a two-stop strategy. People were mm-hmm. so worried about tire life that a lot of people tried a three-stopper. And I don't think three, St. Pete has been a, a three-stopper since they cut the race down 10 laps. So I think that shows the severity the tire had the tire change had, uh, but also one of the things that was impressive for Scotty, you know, and and to be fair, this is easier at the front because you've got less dirty, dirty air and whatnot, uh, you know, less traffic. But the fact that they made their red tires last so long, you know, I thought was really impressive. Um, you know, we kind of did like a hybrid three stop. We kind of, I think we were the first ones to stop on in the race, but we also then took a caution. Uh, pit to try and get back on, you know, the traditional two-stopper, but um, yeah, the, I don't know if the red is, I don't know if that tyre is something that we're going to have at every street circuit, but certainly it, it threw a few more wrenches in the plan than uh, I'd anticipated for St. Pete anyway. Yeah, it just was interesting. It seemed like that was a, I mean, you're going to have a lot, a lot of things that either are changing or are new or going to catch some more people out um a little catch people a little off guard than others when you're coming into the first race of the year but that just really stood out to me and that was i mean it just made that second practice um that much more important because that was the first time that you guys are able to run those uh those reds right in practice two and you were with your your accident that you were referring to unable to to be able to even run those what what's kind of go like what is i know the part of the process 
as you mentioned, and really a pretty large portion of it is uh, your crew being able to put back your car together in time. But as in preparing for qualifying, are you, you know, are you talking to Graham, talking to Christian, kind of about how those reds felt since you hadn't had a chance to even really go out and run any laps in them before qualifying started? Oh, big time, to be honest with you. Like, that was a really, really bad time to have a crash. Um, and I think that's the thing about street circuits, the thing I may have mentioned last week. And I think my plan was to go fast down at the wall and think we were going fast, but I did nibble it. Uh, you know, really, when you watch it back, it's the tiniest, tiniest of, you know, hits on the inside front tire. If you're on a road course, you just bounce off the curb, you know, and you probably don't even notice it. Uh, but obviously, street circuits that way, they pay a, a heavy price and, you know, just caught the inside of the wall in nine. That fired me into the outside of the wall in nine. Um, and at that point, you know, we hadn't even done new black tires. We were still on the old tires from practice one, just kind of shaking the car down, getting ready. To me, where that really hurts then is you get into qualifying and you don't know how much extra grip there is. You don't know what the balance has done. Uh, so... The thing that really made P practice two so difficult was I don't think Graham got to new tires. He definitely didn't get to reds. And if he did it, you know, he red flag, you know, yellow flags, all that stuff. Um, so we in that moment really had to lean on Christian, uh, you know, with what did you think to the red tire? But people need to remember this is only the second time that he's driven the red tires. Yes, exactly. And driving that tire compared to Indy is, you know, pretty significantly different. Uh, so it was tough. To be honest with you, I think what really made our qualifying tough was getting blocked. Uh, you know, that really, really hurt us. We did the first lap. I realized there was, you know, way, way more grip. And I was getting ready to do my second lap. And I I was so disappointed that IndyCar didn't deliver a penalty on that uh, because it completely changed our outlook for the race i don't think we had a car for pole uh in all fairness i don't think we had a car to be in the fast six either i do think we had a car between you know eighth and twelfth uh which i think graham was 11th and uh, you know i think in that moment you know we'd been the same pace you know all weekend so the, having the crash really not good uh you know didn't get to drive on the reds even people forget, you know, we didn't get to qualifying power in practice. So then, you know, I'm kind of working on my, you know, Honda technician, hoping that he can, you know, figure it out on the fly. Uh, you know, so that on my side was terrible. I felt so bad to the guys, uh, you know, and it really didn't start Saturday off on a good foot. But what really hurt Saturday as well, kind of in addition to in equal severity, I would say, was, you know, getting blocked in, in qualifying. So... The repercussions of those things just hurt, you know, frankly, and that's on me to do a better job and obviously not crash, uh, you know, and also for IndyCar to be a bit more consistent on how they're going to deliver penalties for, you know, qualifying interference. So, uh, I don't know, man, not, not a great Saturday, you know, probably one of the less good Saturdays I've had for a while, uh, you know, and I think people know that we have traditionally been qualifying quite well uh, you know certainly on red so 
just looking forward to Long Beach now, getting the opportunity just to, uh, you know, put some of that to bed. You, I'm, I'm curious, and I, I'm guessing I probably know the answer, but I, I guess I just don't really know, so I'll ask you, when you, what's the difference in, like, does starting 23rd versus, say, 13th where you finished does that maybe potentially make a difference in jumping from the pool of folks that went on the three-stop strategy to potentially a two-stopper and maybe you finish right or as you mentioned you know you had pretty similar pace to Graham Graham finishes starts 11th finishes 7th would that have potentially flipped just been starting far enough up to potentially flip the strategy that you guys would have made Oh, definitely. You know, it opens up your tire selection some. Um, the problem is when you, when you start back there, you have to do something different, you know, alter, alternative. And, and it's it leads you into having to do things you don't necessarily want to. But you have to try something because at that point you need a yellow to go your way. Uh, you know, et cetera. And I know we did get a yellow, but it kind of came at a weird time. So it didn't really change the dynamic of the strategy, really. Uh, so it was just a bit of a break for five or six laps or whatever it was. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure we would have qualified right around where Graham was. And to be honest, you look at the 30 car with Christian and... I think he qualified 15th and, you know, finishing a top 10. So, I oh know they did the 11th maybe. Yeah, you know, yeah. so the, the team the team did a great job on strategy, you know, across all three cars. You know, no one can deny that. You know, and I think at that point, if we'd have, you know, been further up the front, you know, I feel like we had more than enough pace to be in the top 10. Uh, I don't, we've, you know, I'm not sure we exactly were a top five car. You know, but I think if we, you know, qualified... Between 8 and 12, I think we'd probably finish between 6 and 8, you know, in all fairness, on the speed we had on the day and, you know, things like that. Maybe you could squeeze in a top five, but, um, yeah, it, the, the, the mindset is so different because at that point you're just rolling the dice and hoping for something good to come your way. And in a lot of ways, that's one of the, like I said earlier, I, was in, I left St. Pete really encouraged because one of the things that was hard in my English car career so far, has been turning a bad qualifying into a good good race. Um, you know, and this is a, one of them times where we did that, you know, and I, don't get me wrong, I did not go to St. Pete hoping to finish 13th, you know. Like, that is not, that's not the target at any race this year. And, you know, like I kind of tried to challenge myself and challenge the team and be like, look, let's make St. Pete our worst race of the year. You know, last year we qualified on the front row, and uh, you know, finished fourth. So we know we've got speed there. We know we've had pace at Texas. We know we've had pace at Long Beach. Um, I thought for a first weekend together, it was pretty successful. But uh, you know, I don't want to have to roll the dice on strategy. I want to qualify well and then just try and execute the strategy that we think is going to uh, work the best. Your strategy, your Saturday, as you mentioned, was pretty stressful. It seemed like a, we went from a a pretty calm practice on Friday to a wild one really quick on, on Saturday. One yeah. um, I don't know if you've even had a chance to watch video back of this, but one thing that was being talked about long after the session was over with was um, 
contact that Grosjean had with, uh, I guess it was really just one car, but there were several cars there that could have been victim to it in turn 10 there, um, right uh, before the segment headed toward the, the airport. He's, he claimed after the fact that, um, you know, that there were, I mean, which there were, there were four or five, maybe even six cars just kind of waiting to try to get a lap in to um, try and simulate a, a qualifying run ahead of qualifying later in the afternoon. He was, I think, on a flying lap and was coming down that straight between 9 and 10. There's a little kink there that's probably almost a turn that you could probably give a number to, but it's not technically numbered on the maps, and said that he just didn't see or didn't know about anyone being there. One thing I wondered, uh, or a theory that had been proposed to me, was that spotters don't really have a great view of that part of the course. Um, I, I just And I know that the speeds you guys are going on that section, that's maybe only a, somewhere around a third of a mile or so, you guys make up that ground really, really quickly. I just was curious if you'd had any chance to look that over and if you had, uh, you know, any any thoughts on how that all took took place, I know that you don't want to have uh, a bunch of guys jammed on uh, one corner waiting to go and guys could be running, but I also imagine he might have had enough time to stop at the same time. Yeah, that's uh, I, I did see it. Uh, you know, I think the thing that was odd about that practice session is this is really silly to say. I actually felt a little bit better about my crash after I saw the current champion do the same thing um you know i was like oh there's some in good company now anyway uh but then when i saw what happened after man that is dangerous you know that's a really bad thing that is in the series right now it's people backing off at bad parts to try and get their own lapping which everyone's completely entitled to um i don't know if i necessarily want to lay blame at any one person's door for that but I've seen them things go worse and it is a nasty it's a nasty incident um, you know I know IndyCar don't want to try and police and patrol some of these things but I think you know some of these are getting out of hand you know and they're getting a bit carried away and um, it, it really depends you could make an argument for and against it right you know in terms of what happened remains on a lap cars are going slow line that's not that's not okay that being said you know if everyone else is going that slow i would say that he came through the kink he'd already come through the kink to see that people were slowing down ahead um but then the thing is it's easy to look back at it after and go well you know you should have done this and you go well actually you've only got a split second to make that decision and when you're on a flying lap, you have the priority. So it's just a really bad situation. I think I think part of the problem is that in <clears throat> in practice and whatnot, we have the alternate alternative start line or finish line, and that line is on the exit of turn 12 before the final corner to try and speed up some of the sessions. So you see the finish line, and then you come straight into the pit, so you don't have to do a whole in-lap, okay? Mm-hmm. But all that does at St. Pete is shift the moment when people back up to try and get, which they're entitled to, their best next lap. But when that shift comes into the braking zone, 
of a fast blind corner, like you're still pulling six gear, you know, up to that corner. If the balance isn't good, the kink might require a lift, not always, but sometimes. So it's certainly not just a no brainer and it's blind. And then your closing speed is severe. You know, you go from six gear to second gear in that corner. You know, it's not exactly like it's just a, uh, you know, a tiny braking zone. It's a big braking zone, probably the, you know, third or second biggest one on the track. And I mean, ultimately, I think there was responsibility on everybody. And it's responsibility on cars going slow, not necessarily going slow on the outlap, on the racing line. But then if everyone's doing it, I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily have singled out Takuma as he was the one in the wrong because he was trying to get space and the gap from the cars around him. It was just a terrible situation. And, you know, in the same breath, remains on a on a heater. He's on the he's going fast on the racing line as he's entitled to and should do. It's just a really bad scenario. Um I would put, I would personally move the start the alternate start line back to the actual start line so that you can push at St. Pete where people start to go slow and not into a blind corner. Yeah, that's what I would do. Put it. Yeah, I mean that's, you know, and that's I, seems like that makes the most sense. You know, and obviously I'm not a, a steward, you know, me and Max and Ari disagreed on a decent amount of the weekend, of which I have the utmost respect for them, uh, you know, for what they've achieved in their careers and all these things. But I don't know. I, I didn't feel like the weekend was... Um, it's not an easy one. And also one of the reasons I was so frustrated with in qualifying, that you know, the car that interfered with us didn't get a penalty is because earlier in the day... You just saw what can happen when that goes wrong. You know, two cars ended up colliding together. And when I was in there, it was just a simple case of, you've already seen what can happen, but you were almost going to let it happen again. You know, so I I will say, and, and I say this to the stewards every weekend, every time you've got two sets of people or two drivers, two crews going in to complain about each other, there's only really a few outcomes, and that's you either irritate one, you irritate the other, or there's no there's no uh, penalty, and someone then leaves feeling like justice hasn't been served. So I don't envy their position. I don't envy the race control, and I don't envy Kyle Novak as the race director. You know, I don't. And, and the thing is, I'm, I'm smiling when I say this because I say it to them. You know, I don't envy their roles. However... You know, some of these things have, you know, pretty, at least in the practice two crash, that has a pretty significant risk factor on something that already is dangerous. The qualifying interference just has a huge impact on your weekend. Uh, But ultimately, it was all caused by the same thing. It was people trying to get space and a gap to start their qualifying or practice hot laps. You know, so I don't, I don't begrudge him that. It's just a, um, you know, uh, it's not a great situation at St. Pete. Yeah. Well, it was uh, uh, an eventful, probably, and I mean, I would argue, unexpectedly fairly green race that we had on Sunday. We had one caution period. David Malukas um, 
Walded, I think, around turn three, if I remember correctly. Um, just a, probably a teaching moment for uh, one of the six rookies that we have in the paddock, who I'm sure will bounce back pretty well. But as you mentioned, it came at a really interesting time. I've, I've heard this term repeat, I mean, just the, this general idea repeated so many times over the last five days. And as someone who's always trying to learn a little bit more about strategy, why did that the specific time when that yellow fell, why was that so interesting and how it impacted? Um, and it seemed, and from lots of people that I've talked to, seemed like it really helped the guys who were on a two-stop strategy in particular. I think the reason it helped people on the two-stop strategy is that they'd already done their first pit stop and now getting the opportunity to save even more fuel um, under that caution, you know. Gotcha. That makes, that was, that was kind of the idea that I wondered, but uh, some of that strategy stuff always kind of confuses me uh, a little bit. The thing thing that happened, if that happens 10 laps sooner, it's probably advantageous then for the three stoppers, I would have thought. Because they've already done a stop, they can then get another stop in and then probably try and save a little to the end. It's more that in that moment, if you were on a three-stopper, you had already done your stop and not exactly getting close to the second stop yet, but not yeah. miles away. So you've already then you've got to come in and go again. So it is, it it was more, it was more advantageous for the two stoppers because they'd already done their first stop. It gave them a chance to save even more fuel. And then on the two stop, you it really, for St. Pete anyway, it wasn't a, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it, it wasn't necessarily a two stopper because of fuel. It was, oh, so it wasn't going to be a three stopper because of fuel. It was going to be that because of tires. Yeah. So yeah. then if they were, you know, trying to save a little fuel, on the two-stopper, which you probably had to a little, you know, those five or six laps under caution give you that opportunity to save huge fuel, so then you can actually run to the end. So you look at the end of the, at the end of the race, and all that's happened is you've done one less stop. Gotcha. That makes good amount of sense. We'll uh, we'll touch a little bit on our race winner here. Um, really. Strong weekend um, from start to finish from Scott McLaughlin, who is a really just kind of represented a great turnaround after his rookie campaign. Um, it was a last year was very up and down for him. He had um, uh, a segment of the season early on there where he finished second, followed by eighth at Texas on the oval and qualified fifth for the uh, first IMS road course race. Um, I t- uh, talked to him actually yesterday for a segment later on here in the podcast, and he talked about um, how those couple of races um, maybe didn't give him a, f- a f- not a false sense of where he was in terms of progress, but um, just was it was really tough to be just kind of patient and kind with himself when things weren't always going wrong and when he was 
having some learning moments um, throughout that middle chunk of the season that you would expect any rookie, particularly a rookie who's coming from a supercars background and hasn't been racing open wheel for um, so many years coming up the ladder, like so many of the guys that we see in the series typically. So to see him with a brand new engineer uh, in Ben Bretzman, who was with Simon Pagano for so long, be able to, have a couple of really strong practices followed by beating out both Will Power and Colton Herta for pole in uh, Saturday's qualifying session. And then to run a pretty flawless race with uh, a good amount of pressure on him throughout the bulk of it, run a decent portion of the race in the middle of it, just kind of from the middle of the pack when you um, maybe aren't setting up your car to run in that much dirty air for that extended period of time because of these strategies that were, um, you know, kind of so differentiated between the two groups of thought and the two groups that made different decisions. He just really impressed me um, a lot there in in each portion of the race and each portion of the weekend, of, of course, along with how he held off Alex Pillow, even when that um, deficit on track went from about two and a half seconds with maybe 10 or so laps to go to just about a half second when we started to see the leaders come upon uh, a couple different cars that were nearly ready to be lapped. It was just a, it was a veteran-esque performance from a guy who is a, certainly a, a well-decorated racing veteran, but not someone who's been in this series for, uh, for too long. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch the race back at all, just to maybe get a better perspective on what his day was like and, and how he did it, but what were some of your impressions from how Scott did this weekend? To be honest, I think Scott did this weekend what everybody knows that Scott can do. You know, if, if you're a fan of motorsport and you can go back and see what he's achieved in his career, granted, in, in a completely different car, you know, in a different country even, but I mean, his talent and how good he is in a race car, you were just kind of waiting for this weekend to happen. You know, and I'd chat to him. I think Scott is such a great guy. Um, I thought he had a good year last year. You know, in all fairness, you know, you've had people spend their whole lives in open wheel racing to get ready for IndyCar. And, you know, he came from a completely different, not even a sports car, you know, really like a whole, a completely different car in the Aussie V8 supercars over and did a great, a great job. And, you know, last year, I mean, he, that, when his podium at Texas was awesome. So I would say what was super impressive about his weekend was the ability to out-qualify Will, Power, and Colin Herter. Because yeah. both those guys, I, I've, I've started on the front row next to both of them and couldn't out-qualify them on them weekends. And, you know, he had, what, nearly two tenths, tenths and a half margin, you know, yeah, in the end for pole. Yeah, which, I think so. Which, which is huge. So then you're like, okay, that was a bloody good lap he's just put in. Raw speed, uh, you know, good setup. Obviously got a great relationship going with his new engineer. Uh, also the engineer that ha- was with Simon when he won the series championship and the 500, by the way. So clearly a great engineer, uh, you know, and it clearly is just a great pairing. And then you watch his race back and it was just, again, 
it's the sort of drive that a champion drives because he's a champion. You know, when you go back and look at his career, three-time IndyCar, uh, sorry, Australian Supercars champion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's that for him, the, like, the, the pressure that he was under and things like that. I, that's not the first time that Scott McLaughlin's been under pressure to win a race. No. And definitely. it's not the first time that he followed through, stayed calm and got it done. You know, and I think that's the thing that I look at and I'm like, incredible weekend you know the class of the field he drove a great race in every way he he had speed he had composure you know he it was a fantastic weekend but actually you really look into it and you go for anyone who knows him likes him follows his career and you go there's a reason that team penske wanted him in an indycar and it was that it's everything that he just did so i think it's you know definitely caught everybody's eye because I think everyone knew he was going to take a big step forward on year two and things like that. But I mean, the level that he did, it was exceptional, very eye-opening, awesome, awesome performance. But really, if you know Scotty, what he did, he just did what Scotty does. And that was drive an incredible, incredible race under pressure like he has done so many times in his career. And, uh, you know, I saw what he'd been saying in the media beforehand and whatnot. He, he never has anyone he's forgotten how to drive. He's just an incredible driver. And really, I guess what's what's cool is seeing him get that result uh, because you see you see it with people all the time. But you know, Scott is such a great guy that you know if we're not going to be able to win or have a weekend like that, then it's it's really nice when one of the dudes you know in the paddock does it you know and he is such a good guy and the only thing you can fault him on is his dismount you know in all fairness <laughs> i don't know i don't know what he was doing there and you know in all fairness like he was probably so just in the euphoria at the moment he just let it all happen and he shook it off like a champ you know but uh i thought i just was happy for him you know and and in some ways i was surprised but when i think about it i wasn't really that surprised because that's what he's done <laughs> That you mentioned the the dismount and everything. I don't know how much uh, NBC showed um, on the live broadcast, but we I think it, from what I heard from folks on on Twitter, we did unfortunately uh, miss his shoey celebration on live TV. But uh. there, there are a lot of videos uh, going around. That um, that I think you could seek out if you're interested. But uh, I was I I just love the the energy um, that he brings to you know whenever he has some success that type of thing I think is is really important yeah. to have in IndyCar and I thought it was really cool just to see like a really genuine unique fun celebration um, from a guy who is having a, an awesome weekend to be able to just kind of bring his own little flair to it. Oh, big time. What's uh what's your shoey beer of choice if you ever did one and I, I'm not sure if you ever would necessarily. Uh oh, mine'd be easy. I, I hope someone's rolling some spotted cow somewhere. I don't know if uh, I hope maybe Oggy Pats will get me hooked up with uh, with some of that when he comes from Wisconsin. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll just be popping a spotted cow straight in. I also I, I'm quite a fan of. Uh, I don't need many, but I do like some King Cream Ale. Okay. Big fan. 
uh, in terms of just like easy drinking beer, kind of just like casual. Uh, I feel like in America, you guys mostly drink like on mass production, like Bud Light, Miller Light, or Cora's Light. So uh, probably probably Miller Light out of those those few options, unless one of the two mentioned also may want to have some partnership i would be open pretty much to whoever might want to work together i haven't really found too many beers that i'm not keen on i don't really drink super like strong ipas i'm not crazy about hoppy beer but spotted cow be my first preference so hopefully we win at road america i go straight to seepkins and i'm just going to stay there the rest of the night there you go there you go um yeah the thing that happened at the end of the race that was a uh, talk of a lot of um people particularly from uh none other than will power who never uh does anything but tells us how he feels at the uh whenever he's got a, a microphone in front of him there was some um discussion of, again and it seems like it crops up multiple times a year on indycar's lack of a true blue flag rule or at least how it is applied um in indycar the to set the stage we had the leaders coming upon cars that had not yet been lapped who according to the rules are still allowed to fight to try and stay on the lead lap um even in the final couple laps of a race um and i know that's not the same in other series i think the way the time it changes is when uh if a car is about to be lapped by a second time and then they have to maybe get out of the way to let the leaders go by. Um, is that something I know? We, I mean, we heard from Will. We, I think, even heard from uh, Polo and McLaughlin and all three, f- For if I remember it correctly, were pretty, um, in their own ways, adamant that it would be nice to have something like that changed, at least in the last 10 laps or so of a race, where clearly, even if there's a yellow, a guy who's in 21st, 22nd, 23rd, you know, even if they're able to stay on the lead lap, they're not going to carve their way through the field in a road or street course race and make that much of a difference. I just wonder if there can be something that can be done, uh, maybe maybe with a a number, like I mentioned, you know, in the last 10 laps, last five laps, if the leaders are coming upon a guy, um, maybe the rule changes. I don't really know. I don't know what the solution there, but it seems like, I mean, there was a chance there that that could have potentially changed the outcome of that race. And I just, that would certainly be a shame if something like that were to occur. Yeah. That came up in our, you know, drivers meeting at the end of the season. And I understand the want to, uh, and, you know, have done this, by the way, unlap yourself, you know, mid Ohio last year, we managed to get by, Marcus then got by Joseph, but we had speed. I pulled away from them, you know, and didn't certainly didn't dictate the end result of the race. Um, so my, when they asked, I, I gave them this opinion to me, once you've gone through the last pit cycle, if you're a lapped car, the, at that point you should be getting the command blue. That's just my feeling. Um, you know, because you watch the race back, he did have a, a bit more of a healthy margin, I think, than what he had at the end. Um, and 
Man, it's a tough one because you don't want to stop people racing for a good result. But with five to go, ten to go, like, not that your day is done, like, keep driving, but, like, don't change the outcome of the race. Well, and it wasn't even just five or ten. I mean, we had Dev, I mean, we had a car at the the last lap of the race that was still trying to fight to stay on the lead. Like, that was, I mean, as. As bad as Jimmy's was, Jimmy was, um, you know, his team, he was doing what is allowed to happen in the rules. He was, I, you know, I wasn't on his radio channel. I don't know if he was getting any sort of instructions from his team to do anything that would potentially allow Alex to creep up on Scott. But that's obviously what happened that the, that gap went from two and a half seconds to a half second, um, and I mean, that's the they were both eventually able to get around him, but uh, it certainly took several laps. But then we I mean, the fact that we saw it again on the last lap of the race, um, it was I mean, I was glad that none of those guys either got in an accident while trying to get around Devlin or that, you know, that be, I mean, the, the thing that you would absolutely hate to happen is that you know, either Scott crashes trying to get around him or that Alex is able to make a pass that he would not have otherwise been able to make had Devlin not been there or Devlin not let them go around. I know it's just a it's something that seems like it crops up every year. Um, but I just am I'd be curious to see IndyCar make some sort of a just some sort of a common sense change, as you mentioned, you know, after we get through the last pit cycle, whatever, if it needs to be some you know a different numbered lap depending on what race we're at and the tracks and the number of laps that goes you can you i feel like you could come up with a common sense number um for every single track but it would just would be interesting to see if indycar ever does address that because i know as will power said post-race he's been uh clamor clamoring on about this for 10 years or so pretty much his entire uh, full-time IndyCar career and hasn't seen a change yet. So I, I'm not sure that one will necessarily be coming. But. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 You never want to take away that opportunity because, you know, the way that strategies can play out, yellows can play out. If you can get a lap back, then, you know, game on. But in all reality, at St. Pete, is that going to be with 15 to go, with 20 to go? I would welcome someone doing that, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My my feeling was that after the last pick cycle, you know, you can still jump a bunch of positions, but if you get your lap back with 30 to go, I haven't seen anybody go in this field, go from, you know, anything more than plus 10, let's say. And I, I would, I was, when I watched it back as a fan, Part of me was like, oh, this is about to get interesting. And then you're like, wait, but should it really be getting interesting because of backmarkers? Yeah. I think the answer to that is probably not. Nope. I think you're right. Um, uh, before we finish up here and I move on to talking to Scott, I teased this in my intro. And so I wanted to make sure I asked you. I know I, I texted you about it in the middle of the weekend. I think it was Saturday night. But uh, did, I imagine you didn't get a chance to listen to the uh, Star Wars orchestra performance that was going on at the Mahaffey Theater uh, near the track on Saturday or Sunday? Oh, I didn't. I, to be honest, I didn't even see that they were there. Otherwise, I would have somehow made myself 
available. I was when you texted me that I was like, oh, where, why we didn't text that sooner? Was what <laughs> I really wanted to wanted to know. I was pretty disappointed about I thought, that. I, I actually, I thought that's what I had heard was going on there, but uh, or we just knew because that that theater is in the the bottom portion of where our media center is, and so they'd made a big deal about the fact that there was something going on there during the weekend, and we had to like use different exits and had different times for when the theater was closing and everything. And uh, I thought I'd heard something about star Wars, but honestly had no idea what it was. And then um, I was, I was scootering off to, to uh, grab dinner on Saturday evening and saw that sign that I texted you. Um, But it was, was an interesting thing. Well, it was, it was funny to be, to see, people walking out of the track in their, you know, in the team gear and after a long 12 hour day or so in the hot sun and you see people walking toward that same area in button down shirt and dress pants and tie and coat jacket. It was just a, an interesting uh, dichotomy of, of cultures kind of clashing there at the Mahaffey on Saturday and Sunday. That's funny. Well, that will do it. Um, like I mentioned earlier, um, this next segment of the podcast got a chance to catch up with our race winner, Scott McLaughlin. Um, had a really great conversation with him about his life leading up to this first IndyCar win, his up and down rookie struggles from a year ago, his time in sports cars and where he wants to see his career go next so please stick around for that um that'll do it for jack and i will have another episode here before uh the uh race at texas motor speedway it's coming up march 20th we'll be here i'm sure before we know it as we were talking about and i am joined now by indycar's newest race winner scott mclaughlin team penske driver of the number three chevy who not only won his first pole this past weekend on the streets of saint pete but came away with his first indycar victory i was doing a little bit of uh research coming into this scott saw what your your first supercars win came was it like nine races into your career there does that sound right Yep, yeah, that's about right, yeah, in 2013. What was, which one was tougher to come by, you feel like? Oh, I think I went through probably more adversity and more ups and downs, the IndyCar side. Um, But the, yeah, I mean, I was just, I'm in completely different parts of my careers right now, you know. I feel like if I had the experience that I did in supercars that I do now in IndyCar, I think maybe my driving style was more suited for the supercar. But then having to change it all for the IndyCar and um, and then, yeah, doing doing uh, what we've done in IndyCar, like, you know, to, to have a win you know, already now, uh, just to start the second year is, is pretty special. And, and if I am being honest, like, it's, you believe you can do it, but it certainly has come earlier than expected um, and really proud of that. Um, it hasn't been from a lack of trying and, and just want more of it now. I know, uh, you know, you mentioned the just kind of ups and downs that you had um, last season. This is such a very different style of racing that you had been used to and had, frankly, dominated in over in Australia, came over as a three-time defending supercars champ for folks that don't know. 
Um, what's the best way? I I always hear, and I f feel like it's probably a kind of a cop out because we have NASCAR here that folks are most familiar with. How would you describe um, the type of car you were driving? Is there anything that you can compare it to, or like, is it a combination of like NASCAR and IMSA in some way? Yeah, you could probably look at it from a um, what the NASCAR have gone through now with the next gen car. It's mm -hmm. uh, independent rear suspension, sequential gearbox, um, and then probably add like a Lexus type feel. You know, like the, the how you know that that GTD category um, that you see in in IMSA. Um, the cars were heavy, um, quite heavy, uh, fast. They weren't. Indy car speed fast, but they were, you know, fast enough, 650 horsepower. Um, they, yeah, but had quite a bit of aero for what they were and how heavy they were. So, um, but they, they're, they're proper race cars, um, very, very fun to drive. Um, just, yeah, absolute beasts on street circuits. Uh, tracks like Bathurst, that's world famous, like they're, they're, they're built for those sort of tracks, you know, fast and high speed and ups and downs, curbs. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a completely different driving style, driving one of those compared to how, what I've gone to now in the IndyCar. You came over and, and had your first test, I think it was February of 2020. Does that sound right? It was before? Uh, yeah, January. 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 Okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So you, oh, and then I went to Proto. Uh, that's right. That's right. So you had an aim that year to potentially do a couple of races. It still did one at the end of the year, but it was in a little, maybe a little bit different uh, mm -hmm sequencing with the pandemic and everything that first test and really even that first race that you had i guess it was nine or eight or nine ten months later what was the what was the toughest thing that you had to adjust to in those different driving styles like you were talking about yeah i think the proximity of the race car learning the size of the car um especially on a street track like how how far you can push the limit with the walls and stuff was difficult um and then also uh, i guess uh, learning the tire learning how you know going from a black tire to a red tire in the same race in the same qualifying session minutes of each other is you know was difficult and something that i hadn't really done before i mean we had done a couple of qualifying sessions in the supercar with like a, a hard tire and a soft tire very similar to what we have here but most of the time it was either we used to either have a weekend on the red tire and then or the next weekend would go on the black tire. You know, it wouldn't be like the same throughout. So, um, yeah, that, that, that the hardest thing has been trying to extract speed on that. And especially when you get very little running on the red tire, it's it's, it's something that you've really got to do, go, do well in qualifying because the more time you spend on the red tire and qualifying, the more experience you get. And, and um, certainly it took me a whole really season to get used to that. You were part of this really unique rookie class last year with Jimmy Johnson, Roman Grosjean, um, all drivers who were coming from different disciplines um, in their careers coming over to IndyCar. Jimmy, maybe the most decorated out of the three of you guys with seven championships, but you, I think, were certainly the one of the three that was most on top of your game at kind of a peak when you came over from supercars coming into IndyCar. I know we talked, um, you know, we just had a chance this weekend in the handful of press conferences that you were in to just dive a little bit deeper uh, into the mental struggle that you dealt with just coming from being so successful 
in a series that you in lots of ways probably grew up around that was very familiar coming to something that was ultimately a goal of yours but was um fairly tough to adjust to and you came into a series that was uh, you know lots of people like to say is arguably the most competitive racing series in the world what was was there a point last year in your like mental preparation that you had to finally kind of take a step back and, and make an adjustment. I know when I talked to Tim Sindrick on Sunday, he'd said that they had approached you and said that like your rookie year was just kind of a year for whatever you needed it to be. Um, but I imagine it would have been pretty tough and I'm not sure that you were even able to do this to like come into 2021 and say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have expectations for myself. I can't hold myself to the same, um, high standards that I raced in, in, in 2020 and before in supercars. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I'm just really, uh, really, really, really competitive. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and within myself, it's as much as I had Roger and Tim saying, Hey, this is a learning year and do what it, whatever you want it to be. It's, it's kind of hard to shift the focus from just going out and winning and, and, and trying to be the best. And, it's probably Detroit where, you know, after a tough indie, after sort of making a mistake there, a rookie mistake, and then and then going to Detroit and crashing in practice one, you know, that's when it sort of turned for me a little bit in terms of like, you know, that was probably the hardest point of the year. Um, and then, you know, we went to Road America after that and Road America, like we had tested out and I was really confident going in and things just didn't work out in the race and I qualified bad and didn't really have a good race. And, I was just putting a lot of pressure on myself, you know, and, and comparing myself to Grosjean and who had driven these cars for years and years and years, like in terms of open wheelers. Um, so I, I was probably like, it was unfair comparisons on my end. There was a lot of pressure on myself from my end. Um, and then, yeah, it was sort of like Roger and Tim, you know, both sort of sit me down and, and just saying, hey, look, you know, this is a long story. You know, it's not a short one. And, and we've brought you over here. We've invested in you to, you know, we because we believe in your talent and Roger said to me like if Joseph went back to supercars he'd be going through the same struggles you would be in supercars it, it, but it's just be the opposite and it resonated with me pretty well it didn't completely cure me um but I guess it helped me just relax a bit more and just take the end of the season and then maybe experiment a little bit with setup experiment a little bit with you know what I was doing with the race car yeah, qualifying didn't really gain much traction after that. Like, I still was struggling with it, but I knew I had it in me. And by the end of the season, I had many chats with my engineer, with my strategist, everyone. You know, what I wasn't lacking was speed. Like, I had speed. It was just a matter of putting it together. And maybe I didn't show the speed, but there was times, you know, the end of last year, like, we were top five, top six in practice at Long Beach. We topped the last practice at Laguna. Um, there was, you know, little flashes of like, yeah, this is starting to work out and the car's starting to get my way. And, um, you know, it was just, and then after that, it was all about belief and working with Benny Bretzman, my new engineer, and trying to work out a setup that, you know, it suited me. And, and we felt like we found something before we headed to St. Pete and we worked on that at Sebring and, and I felt really strong at Sebring, although the times went amazing. It was like, I felt good for what we did. Um, and so I had a lot of confidence going into to, to St. Pete this weekend. Did I have confidence to win the race and, and get pole? Probably didn't think that was going to happen. But at the same time, 
if things went my way, I know that if I was put in that position, I, I, I could capitalize and that's exactly what we did. And, um, yeah, the whole whole thing is just basically from, you know, Detroit Road America onwards, that's when things started to, you know, turn and I probably settled into a bit more of a, of a rhythm myself. I know we only have a handful of oval races on the calendar, particularly last year. I think we only had four. So the schedule was really dominated with road and street courses. But I'm curious to know um, your your highlight on track. Certainly, I would imagine would have been that runner up finish and uh, was race number one at Texas, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you you come away. That was your third third IndyCar race of that season, your fourth overall in your career. You go and you finish uh second in a race that was won by our you know the best driver of our generation scott dixon um when you're talking when you were talking about all of those mental ups and downs i wondered in some way being as competitive a driver as you were if i mean not to not to say that you wouldn't have wanted to have a great result like that that early in your career but did that coming as quickly as it did in some way make it more difficult or maybe take a little bit longer for you to be a little bit more realistic with yourself? Yeah, for sure. I think it probably come a little, well, I took the result. I love the result. Don't get me wrong, but it's certainly coming at a point where I probably, it made me change my goals a little bit. You know, I, I, I not change, I didn't change my goals, but mentally I was like, well, if I did that once on an oval that I hadn't been on before, there's no reason why I can't do that on a road course where I'm comfortable or, or something like that. Um, but that's what IndyCar does. It, sometimes you can just have a, a, a great result. Like that was probably more of a strategic result. Yeah, we had great pace, but we, we managed to like have a really good strategy and a few things that put us up there. And, you know, I, I felt like, um, yeah, it, it probably it got us to a point where it was like, uh, that probably came a bit too early and the expectations come up and then the expectations grew on me. And, you know, the rookies this year will go through that. Yeah, you know, you'll have like a Kirkwood or a Lungard or someone like that and they'll have a good result. And then automatically they sort of won't be an underdog anymore and everyone will be like looking at them to be like, and the pressure will go up. And then you'll think, well, what do I need to go to that next step? And then you'll end up trying things with setup and stuff and that which will be a detriment. And then you won't get out of Q1 and there's just, and then it's just a confidence, it just hits your confidence. So you just got to go through that roller coaster in, in, in your first year of IndyCar. And and hopefully they take it a little bit better than I do. Because I certainly I was, you know, it probably uh, in that little part of the season, you know, I was a de- detriment to myself a little bit. Um, but then, yeah, once I chilled out and, and soaked it in a bit more, I was a bit better. But, the, you know, everyone goes through it. And certainly that Texas race probably raised expectations and, change goals which was a detriment to probably the early part of the season when you started to you know you had to sit down with roger and tim um started to be able to build up some more speed maybe weren't putting the complete lap together and say qualifying but had this you know, maybe good sectors here and there over different laps that um would have ultimately led to some good stuff you're coming into the off season you go through a change in your engineers was there a point in this off season um, where you felt like, I know you said coming into St. Pete, you didn't think, weren't necessarily expecting pole or a raceman, but was there a moment or a sim session or just a, a point when you were sitting down with Ben or Tim or anyone else that you felt like there was 
a good shot that this season was going to be able to be considerably better uh, or at least start off considerably better than a year ago. I guess I just I just felt like I had experience. Like You can't buy it. It's just it, – I just felt good straight away. As soon as me and Benny started working together, like I felt we had a really good connection straight away. Um, I mean, the whole year we've been playing golf together. We've been hanging out playing Call of Duty together like they actually we're quite friend like we're friends and um then going to that working relationship it, I was excited and and very excited to you know see him from a working perspective and the way he works is exactly sort of how I want to work but but casual enjoy the time um you know do what we can don't overly put a huge amount of pressure on ourselves but just go our way and if it, and if I need something from the car that seems a little different trust your gut and and that's something that we've we worked on and and it was probably midway through the off season when we straight after christmas when we started working through some saint pete some correlations some um and got into some setup work where we genuinely were making the car a lot better and i was a lot closer on simulator times and just felt like i had a good spot with the car the car and and then sebring like we 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 tested a lot of stuff like we didn't really go out there and try and get outright speed we we just tried to build what we call a toolbox you know and it was just different suspension changes some some different dampers some different you know uh, little fundamental pieces of setup that you know i hadn't tried but like you know i had an idea that i wanted to try and it was all about just going okay what does that do the do to the car and do i like that i do not like that and if we have this issue we go to that or we don't, you know, and just like we said, like I said, building that toolbox. And then I started realizing our toolbox is starting to get pretty big and, and I'm starting to learn like exactly what I want. And, um, you know, I felt really good this, the sim session before St. Pete, but never, like I said, never thought that it was going to be probably as dominant as it was. And, and that's, that's what's really makes me proud of how we work together in our first, first weekend. Can't wait for more of it. You built over that whole weekend. You had strong practice one, strong practice two, qualify and pole. Uh, that was a little surprising. Can, can you take me through what that evening was like? Like the the build up to your. I mean, you're sitting around. You've got what I. I mean, it was weird that we had like 24 hours in between qualifying and the start of the race. Was that a a nervous time for you to try to like, you know, get out in St. Pete and walk around and enjoy the city? Or were you really hyper-focused on watching film or, or going over stuff with Ben or anything? No, it's funny. I went out for, I had a dinner booked that we booked months ago, me and my wife with her family. And we went out for dinner at like six. We had a big bowl of pasta, hung out with them till sort of 8.30 went home and I looked at some messages. Obviously my phone had been going crazy and, and a few others. I watched wedding crashes. <laughs> I looked at a bit of I looked at a bit of footage, yeah, just more so in and out laps and stuff like that. But I was pretty chilled, man. Like I I was really proud because we had, you know, like I said, the qualifying was my Achilles heel and, and we managed to sort of do a really good result and I was starting at the front and I just felt pretty comfortable with where we were it was just a matter of me using the warm-up to learn what i needed like practice starts and in and out laps and stuff um you know i said to myself before i went to sleep you know i've done this i won 56 races in supercars and and i and i did that you know controlling races or you know whatever so as i know how to do it it's just a different car so it's just for me it was all about just you know 
don't change anything what you're doing. Just you know, learn what you can in the warm up. Figure out what you've got, and and go into the race with an open mind that things will change. You know, there'll be a yellow at some point, which there was, and you, you're just going to have to trust your engineers, trust your strategists. So, yeah, like the night before, I was really chilled. I, I yeah, I um, it was more more. I was more relieved that we we're in a start a great starting position than I was, you know, nervous. I guess. Sure. Um, I know races particularly road or particularly street races and uh, even more so I think ones at St. Pete seem to be really dominated by how many crashes there are when they fall um, and I think frankly was I was a little surprised we only really had one um, I know uh, um, as you know race fans I think it's always really interesting to kind of hear how the strategy goes and why something, why a strategy works out or why it makes sense. Can you kind of take us through um, why with the yellow coming out when it did um, and the positioning that you guys were already in, why a, a two stopper that day ultimately worked out? I know we saw some people try some different things. We had Rossi trying to go a, a super duper long first stint for a two stopper, some people going three um just kind of maybe take me through what you saw maybe if you've you know had a chance to look back or think back about that race a little bit yeah i think the three stop is was it was always the slower strategy but things had to happen like yellows and stuff to work out we've seen that happen in the past um you know i think the long the, the yellow that we had was so long because the wall had been moved and they had to fix the wall and stuff like that so that ultimately helped us a lot um, and made my fuel code um, less. Uh, so I was able to like uh, use a bit more fuel in the race. Um, so basically when when we had to pit, obviously we didn't take our pit stop before that yellow and some people did like a Dixon and a few other people. Um, we, so having that fuel code come down, I was able to push and stay with the pack a little bit more. If I had to save the fuel and the three stoppers like Dixon could have keep going and 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 gas the gas it a bit more because you know basically a three-stop strategy you're going hard the whole race you didn't really need to save fuel so um but you ultimately need car speed and we had car speed and we were we weren't needed to save as much fuel as we did so that's ultimately why it worked i think if the the, the yellow flag was any shorter or a little bit more shorter it might have been a little bit more tighter but i still think with the pace that we had and the, and the numbers that we could hit at at pace um i still think we could have been right there with dixon i just think dixon probably would have been a little bit closer to us um to me and alex and all that but for me like that yellow like last year i probably would have imploded a little bit you know i'm controlling the race you know i'm uh, in a really good spot things are going really well and the yellow comes out and then we didn't get to pit other people did and you know we were split strategies and i was in the middle of the pack after leading and basically pulling away for the first half of the race um so but what last year taught me was like this happens in IndyCar, like you know, that, and that's why you turn up and you qualify twenty second on an IndyCar race. You can still come on Sunday and believe you can win because strategy sometimes works like that. Mm -hmm. And and you know, I just said to myself, look, just focus on what you need to do. Keep Alex, keep Will, keep VK, uh, whoever was behind me, uh, Colt, Colton behind you, um, and just and and just do your do your field code and listen to the guys and. And fingers crossed, you know, things will come back your way, and they did. And that's the beauty of IndyCar racing, because things can just change in an instant. Um, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's fair, like in terms of, you know, you've got great car speed, and 
things don't work out, but you know, thankfully it worked out this time. I know lots of people remember or process those like euphoric moments in their lives very differently. Some people kind of like black out and just like don't remember and some it like really sticks with them. Is that the moment in pit lane from, you know, jumping and tripping, falling off the car, the shoey FaceTiming with your parents? Is that something that's like ingrained in your brain now or was it such a rush of excitement that it you kind of just like remember bits and pieces of it? Oh, no, it was a bit of both. I mean, I remember all of it um, very well. Uh, but, I, I, you know, it's for sure it was just I was so excited. Um, and my heart rate was the highest point of the race in victory lane. So it was um, it was pretty wild. I was jumping around. And, um, yeah, the, the whole, you know, I don't know what I was – that point, like, I, sometimes I don't know what I'm doing when I'm, like, excited and jumping around and, and jumping out of the car. And sometimes that's why it's, I, I, I guess – you know, back in Australia, I swore on live TV and accidentally, and then there was just bits and pieces that have happened over my career that have made me quite popular with the fans. But I like sometimes it's just because I'm just an overexcited cat. So, um, yeah, it, it, I've had some really cool moments in my career that have come from just instincts and from just winging a celebration, and I've really enjoyed that. Was someone chanting in the crowd to for you to do a shoey, or was that something? Sure. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Yeah, there was, a, there was a, a lady. She asked me to do it on the on the podium, and I'm like, oh, I don't have a drink with me. And then I said, oh, I'll go get us some beer, and and I'm, I want a beer anyway. And the team went and got me some beer. And then when I got a beer can in my hand, they're like, oh, shooey, shooey. I'm like, oh god. When when the people want it, you gotta you gotta you gotta show up. It's not the most favorite thing in the world, but it's it's uh, it's it's uh, cool in, in a way. You told us in the media center after the fact that it was your favorite pair of, of racing shoes after a shoe like after shoey do you have to retire the shoes or you keep racing in them yeah it's retired <laughs> yeah. so uh it's next to me in my in my office now it's all marinated um but it, it uh yeah i had to ring penske and say hey can we speak to puma and because i really like those racing shoes for my dex car and and mm-hmm. uh can we get another set and they're like yeah no no you won the race you can get whatever you want so that was pretty cool <laughs> That's cool. I know we were talking off uh, off camera. Um, you're getting together and hanging out with folks from your uh, number three crew this evening. We're talking on Thursday. Um, yeah. The one thing that I always think of in like post race celebrations from from drivers is the te- the messages that you get um, from people that you wouldn't expect to hear from. Is there anyone that you had reach out to you, whether it was a voicemail or a text message or a DM on Twitter that like really caught your eye and stood out. I imagine your phone has been blown up for several days. Yeah. Oh man, there, there was, there was a lot of, a lot of people. Um, I mean, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty close with Jimmy. So he sent me a text after it, even though we were pretty close there in the, in the, in the lap markers and stuff. I'm like, Oh yeah, thanks mate. Um, but, uh, look, there was, there's, there's a lot of people, um, I probably won't like list names, but like, it was just, it was overwhelming the amount of, I think I had something like when I got into my text messages, it was like 250, 300 text messages. That was some, some of it was group text throughout the race as well, but it was, um, it, it was wild, but very overwhelming. Um, had a few old races from supercars reach out, Jane Wincup, Bangers Bergen, you know, me and Shane have stayed pretty close anyway. Um, but yeah, I guess for me, what made me really proud was that there's a lot of people that I know in Australia and New Zealand that, you know, have watched me grow up since I was 16 when I jumped in the supercars and, you know, 
watched me build over time and grown up with me. And then I took off and I haven't seen anyone for a year, but you know, behind the scenes, they've obviously been following me and they were genuinely really happy for me. So um, it, it was, it, you know, it's just cool. That, that sort of stuff's really awesome. Like when you can, I love someone asks if, you know, if I do, I have someone, you know, doing all my text messages and stuff like that, or like, like responding on social media and whatever. I said, well, no, because that's the best part of winning, you know, and, and the celebrations are cool, but the acknowledgements and, you know, that's what makes it such a proud moment is like people that recognize how cool the achievement that you've done and you appreciate that. Like tonight's going to be awesome. I always like every time we win a big race, I always like watching it, the race back with my crew over a couple of beers and just discuss the race in my views. And it's sometimes we don't even watch it, but it's, just on and we're hanging out and it's part of it. It's building relationships. And yeah, I really enjoy that side of the sport, that team side of the sport for sure. You still have lots of um, runway to go in your racing career. Ultimately, uh, what like do you have goals that you set for yourself? Are there events potentially even outside of IndyCar that you want to put, participate in or series that you'd love to try? Like what you've got so much time left in your racing career, particularly when we see guys uh, in the, you know, 46, 47, 48 and in the car still competing pretty near their peak. What, what ultimately do you want to still achieve or accomplish in, in racing? Oh, look, you know, it's, there's so much to do. Um, ultimately I want to win an IndyCar championship and the Indy 500. That's the obvious one. Um, but, you know, the big events like the Le Mans and Daytona 24-hour. I haven't competed in any 24-hour races before, so I'd love to do that. Um, I was close to competing this year in Daytona 24-hour. I was a bit bummed I couldn't do it. But, um, you know, those races are pretty, like, locked into my calendar. I'd love to do. Um, you know, but ultimately my main aim right now is just being successful in IndyCar. You know, it's only one race right now. I've got to continue to, you know, work hard with my team to be good. Um, and then hopefully, you know, once you build credibility, your CV gets stronger, you know, we can continue to race um, or do other races, like you said, like, you know, ones that I've sort of circled. So, and obviously I'd love to still compete in the Bath of 1000 in Australia, which is, you know, it means a lot to me to race back there. I love the track. I love the event and, and, and the supercars, obviously. Um, so, yeah, look, there's, there, I've still got a ton of time, but at the same time, you know, once I sort of click 30, it's, it's, it's game on. You've really got to perform and do what Alio's done or someone like that and continue to perform. So you are here for a long, long time. And, um, you know, I, I can see myself having a long career here, but I've got to put the work in and continue working during, you know, the good and the bad times. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for what's ahead of my career for sure. Um, I'm, um, relieved to have won my first Indy car race, you know, so early in my, in my career, I guess. Um, Makes makes definitely makes the next little bit. Uh, you know, I know I can do it now. It's now about just putting the pieces together more often and doing it, you know, more often and being like a Scott Dixon, trying to be there as close as I can all the time. And uh, if we start doing that, I'll be a happy guy. Before we let you go here, I know last year when you were a rookie, it was your uh, Scott Learns America campaign was was really neat and was a, a chance for you to experience a lot of different. Um, parts of American life, you know, do some some cool sightseeing. But I imagine in all of this, I know that was such a big um, overhaul for for you and Carly's life to come over here. It was something that you had been shooting for for some time. But um, does 
finally being able to win a race given everything that you guys have gone through from being far away from your family um going through you know building a, a new life in a new completely new continent halfway across the world does something does experiencing and accomplishing something like you did on sunday um just kind of help put everything that you guys did to get here into perspective a little bit oh man one hundred and twenty thousand percent it's like it, it's you know like i said to you before it's, it's it's like a nice like relief it's like far out you know you knew you could do it you believe in yourself but you, you know sometimes you've got to put the words into like practice and we certainly did on the weekend um but now it's like, now you just want more of it. So now I'm just going to be annoyed. I want to be like, you know, in the gym more. I'm going to be like, you know, working with a team more. But it's just nice to you know, come over here with nothing. So everything you see in my house is basically being bought over here. Um, you know, I, uh, is, you know, there was times last year we were waiting for couches. We were waiting for beds. We were, you know, there was a lot of things going on in the background. I was working through my green card application, which I'm now secure now with that, you know, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that were going on last year that makes it so much like it's nice now that, you know, all that stuff we went through that, oh, maybe it's all going to pay off that we can be here for a, a, lo a longer time uh, than I thought if I didn't perform, you know, and, um, you know, I've got, I've still got to perform. I've still got to continue to be, you know, you know there thereabouts but at the same time it's it's just a um yeah it's, it's a relief it's exciting um and yeah it does put in perspective that you know it, it was such a big move but it was worth it and, and something that i never will regret well if there was ev any evidence uh from the victory podium that we saw on sunday fans surely have really taken on a, a liking to you and, and hope we get a lot more chances to see you <laughs> There in victory lane, uh, or on podiums, or or whatever it may be at, at uh, Road Street and uh, and and over races. I know. Were you aware of the that? Uh, I don't even know who was sponsoring it, but there's some sort of award or um, goal out there that if a, if a driver wins a road race, a street race, and an oval race this year, there's some sort of big bonus that's on the line. Is that something that? you're aware of or working towards at all yeah i mean i i knew like yeah the the people ready challenge is pretty yes. cool um yeah that yeah someone said that to me on the weekend at the bar they were like you know if you all you gotta do now is win on an oval and road course you win a million bucks i'm like oh that's pretty cool but <laughs> yeah, we've got a long way to go till we till we force that in but i get and stuff like you know not not Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, I, I think my a little bit. I don't know. My pod's working now. Yeah, I, I hear you now. You're good. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, but, you're good. Uh, yeah, no. I think you know. I'm always. I'm a bit of a party. I enjoy. Yeah, I enjoy the good times, and you know, I think people haven't seen that yet. And but like when when we win, it's always a good a bit of fun. And you know, if we can do what you said, you know, went went on an oval and a road course as well. I mean, that's going to be a huge bloody party. So um, it's uh, you know, but you know, keep pushing on, keep uh, working hard, um, and hopefully the good times will come. And just appreciate all the fan support because you know the amount of messages and and on Twitter and I think my Twitter went up like five thousand people in like two <laughs> days. My Instagram and Facebook went up like ten thousand. Like it was crazy, and um, it's kind of nice just to you know people you know accepting me more into the indycar 
fraternity and you know the indycar fans are very very nice people and i really enjoy them well thanks for joining me this week on indycar weekly hope to have you back to chat about uh, another win here before too long thanks for joining us scott that's the plan thanks mate cheers